0: Yeah, stress this is a well-known um, passage to all of us moms. There have been many, many ministries that are based on this, and um, it's a precious scripture. So um, he's, she's leading him by the hand, and uh, that's how I've been all week.
1: Have fun, Steve.
0: Yeah, bye. <laughs> many women do noble things. But you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done. And let her works bring her praise at the city gates. And so, Father, today and on this Mother's Day, we lift up all the mothers all over the world who are working so hard, trying so hard, using every resource, every possibility that comes to hand, um, giving of themselves tirelessly, fearlessly, angrily sometimes to support their children, to, to feed them and house them and clothe them and love them and just keep them safe, oh God. Bless all these moms. It's a struggle, Lord God, and it always has been a struggle. Sometimes the things that we face are different than uh, previous generations have faced. Now we're uh, worried about keeping our our children safe from harm on the internet and predators and all kinds of crazy technology things that seek to suck the lives out of our children. Oh God, bind them. Bind these things. They are tools of the evil one. Bind them, Father, and bless our children. Bless our children, O God, and bless our mothers. And bless the fathers who love them. We are so grateful, God, um, as we see the the chain of families. May these chains be unbroken, O God. Bless our marriages. Keep our young people married and safe and loving one another, even when things are really hard and it might seem easier to leave. Oh, God, we lift these things up fervently before your throne of grace. And we ask these things in Christ Jesus' most blessed name. Amen.
1: Isn't this great? <laughs> it's just great. Let's uh, tell Kathy thank you. <clears throat> okay, kiddos, you know the drill. Get out of here. And I think the middle schoolers as well, be gone. (laughs) There they go. They know the way. Okay, imagine with me just for a second (coughs) that you grew up in a world where women pretty much had no dignity, very little respect. Okay, There were more objects. Objects to be used. Objects to be treated however you wanted. Uh, most of them were owned. And um, their value was found in one of two places. One is where um, they, they took care of you at home. I'm talking to the guys. And the other one is the value they brought dads at marriage. Um, that's, why, that's why if you weren't a virgin at marriage... You were pretty much unwanted because you had very little value. And so we tend to think in our country that dignity and honor are natural human instincts, but they're actually not. Okay? They're actually not. Uh, We have plenty of places in the world today that you can go with me and see what it looks like when it's not actually dignity. Until God speaks into our world, um, that's when morality begins to develop, including honor and dignity. So the ancient world, about the time that the, uh, the uh, God spoke, Ten Commandments, the Pentateuch, there was very little honor or dignity to be a woman, very little. And so it's, it's really not natural. It's natural for you because you're raised in a culture where that's the case. But prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law, We have little, if no, I don't know of any evidence in the ancient nations where they had even conceived of dignity. You see, dignity comes in Genesis 1 when God makes us in his image. That's where dignity comes from. So dignity is bestowed on us. It's not natural for us to think that way. Why is it that Hindu mothers can bear children to turn around and sell them um, into the sex trade? Where is that? How is it that cannibals still exist? So those things are not natural to us. They get developed as Christians have influence within culture. Okay. And so, now remember where we are, we're in Leviticus, we're going to spend just a few minutes in Leviticus 18, you're wondering what's this got to do with uh, marriage, I mean uh, with Mother's Day, by the way, I love all the women that are here, thank you. And Leviticus 18, hopefully by now you're getting the idea that every time we look at a chapter, every chapter in Leviticus is a turning point in world history to introduce something brand new within culture, every one. It's no different today. And so remember where we are, we're, we've been out of Egypt now for a little bit of time, not much, we're still sitting at Mount Sinai, and we're hearing these things for the first time, okay? So I'm going to read to you Leviticus 18, the first few verses. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God, you must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. Okay, pause. Chapter 18 of Leviticus is all about uh, sexual practices, Okay. So keep that in mind. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. So later on today, if you want to, you can read Leviticus 18, all the rules, and that will give you a glimpse into what was happening in the surrounding nations around Israel at the time. Okay? The practices were very degrading toward women, very degrading, dehumanizing. Okay? They had very little... Uh, respect, no dignity, that sort of thing. He goes on and says, uh, You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. This verse is actually quoted by Paul in Romans 10. I am the Lord. Okay, I'm not going to go through and read all the negatives, things you can't do. I'll let you do that. Sometimes we're taught, sometimes let's look at a passage backwards, backwards reading let's look at what is, not a said, what, what is not said in a passage. So when you take away all of the degrading, uh, all the commands of the Lord, which reflect the degradation of women and some other things, but the largely women, what do you have left? What you have left is the first time in history where women have honor. Because you're removing all the practices, you remove them. Or women are degraded and treated very poorly. So the implication is when they're all gone and all stripped away, you have a woman standing there with dignity. And this chapter is the chapter in world history that turned morally God's people away from that, those terrible practices. That's what you have. So you can read them at your leisure. I'm not going to read them here. Instead, what I want to do is I'm going to go to another book. Let me tell you about Proverbs before we put it up on the screen and before we look at it. Proverbs is a book, I believe, written by Solomon. Um, but it's an interesting passage in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Okay, that's very interesting. So both father and mother are here. So uh, all of the wisdom literature written by Solomon are very, it's very fascinating. In fact, I would like to this fall maybe take a look at Ecclesiastes and the the uh, as the world around us is doing everything it can to dehumanize and remove dignity um, and clarity as to who we are, I want to go back to Leviticus and say, who are we? I mean, uh, Ezekiel and say, who are we? Uh, Let me get it straight. Ecclesiastes and say, who are we? And look at the, the meaning of life and where significance actually comes from so we can have a better sense of it. But here we have a book written uh, by a father and a mother who give probably Solomon instructions. Jewish uh, history said that this is Bathsheba, his mother, helping him here. And so this is a a book that's written to a son. If you look over in chapter 2, my son, if you accept my words, chapter 3, my son, do not forget my teaching, chapter 4, listen, my son, Chapter 5, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Chapter 6, my son, if you've put up security. And then in the middle of that, my son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teachings. So in, in Proverbs, you have wisdom laid out. And it's, and it's laid out in language that the ancient world would understand. Wisdom is captured in the form of the beauty of a woman. And so this this book is actually very significant and profound in the ancient world in defining what wisdom actually looks like. So you have two women in the book of Proverbs. Uh, they're, They're explained, they're used metaphorically to help us understand two pathways. So on one side, you have Lady Wisdom. And on the other side, you have Dame Prostitute. And one captures the way of wisdom and one captures the way of foolishness or sin. These two pathways are laid out. And so the way of sin uh, promises, and there's lots of imageries in there of prostitution and other things, lays out how fun sin is. And let's be honest, it is, it is fun. I've never met a person that wasn't that was uh, cheating on their spouse that it didn't start out fun, but it take, didn't take very long, and they become imprisoned. I've never met an alcoholic that didn't start out enjoying alcohol, and then it turned into something destructive. Drugs, any addiction, it doesn't matter. And so sin promises, if it didn't promise and deliver on its uh, fun, people wouldn't do it. And so therefore, it, it's, it's real. And so this pathway says it promises instant gratification and it delivers, but then very quickly becomes empty. As the Bible says, sweet in the mouth, sour in the stomach. And all kinds of problems erupt over time, over time. And then on the other pathway... Madam uh, Madam Wisdom, Madam Righteousness. If you begin to follow this journey here, it's much slower in its delivery, but it's like putting money in the bank. You start putting in money in the bank, you consistently do it over the years, more and more money begins to grow with the time value of money. The same with happiness. And those of you that have lived long Christian lives, you know what I'm talking about. The joy begins to really multiply over time. So this one has instant gratification and results in death. This one... You start off very slowly, but if you're faithful, it begins to build genuine happiness and joy. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings into our life. That's why in the scriptures, the elderly, those that are older than me, <laughs> just joking, just joking, those that those the elderly, they are the ones to be listened to because they have walked the road and they understand the patience required to endure everything that life throws at them, from cancer to whatever comes. It doesn't matter. And so they begin to experience that deeper joy over uh, over time. And that's how Proverbs is laid out. And it used these these two metaphors of these women to capture that. Well, it makes sense because wisdom in Hebrew and in Greek uh, is feminine. And so they would use a, a woman to capture that. When you get to the end of Proverbs in verse Uh, chapter 31, verse 1, he brings up the sayings of King Lemuel. Um, And we don't know who that is. It's the only reference we have in Scripture to it. No one knows who it is. There's no historical reference. Jewish theology or Jewish history taught that this was actually Solomon as a king. And um, his mother Bathsheba is teaching him these principles. But what happens when we get to the end of Proverbs, you probably know the famous passage on a noble wife, a noble woman. And so this brings together all of the language of Proverbs into a very real, compact, tangible story. Now, let's, let's think for just a moment about the world in which this is written. To be a hero usually was what happens on the battlefield. Saul has killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. No one thought of the mom as a hero uh, or a woman, okay? Uh, this is Mother's Day, and I'm grateful for all the mothers, But this is also more than this. This is a story of... It uses the example of a mother to capture the key elements of wisdom. And it brings the concepts of Proverbs down into a very practical, tangible, hands-on way that we can all relate to. Okay? So this woman, uh, this is another part of the journey where God is taking us redemptively on Leviticus 18 began to turn the corner. And then we have snippets throughout history. We have Deborah, the, uh, the judge who becomes a general and leads Israel in war. We have um, several examples throughout the scriptures. But when you get to Proverbs 31, it's all captured in this one story, this poem, if you will, of what a woman looks like. And so what we're going to see, we're going to walk through it, is you're going to capture a glimpse of a woman who's also a mother, but doesn't have to be, through God's eyes. And you can see where we're headed. And you can see how degrading the world is in its images and pictures of mothers who stay at home. Okay, so we're going to walk through this a verse at a time. And these will be up on the screen so you can see them. Proverbs 31, verse 10. A wife of noble character, who can find? Starts off with a question. Do you even know one? How would you know it if you saw it? This is what he's going to explain. Let me help you to understand how to find these women who are amazingly faithful, fantastic, what all of you are created for. I have a theory that inside of every woman is a caged tiger. Be careful if you open the gate because they ain't going back in. I'm married to one. And I know a bunch of you. (laughs) Strong, fierce, and listen to the language that describes this woman. So who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Okay, this word right here, nothing of value, is the word loot. Like when you go into battle and the men would bring home the loot, all the wealth and riches of the town that they conquered. They would bring the virgins home for their own pleasures. Okay? What she, what, his, what, what his mother is saying to him is that a good woman uh, brings this kind of value into the home. And yes, the emphasis is actually on material blessings. Guys, you want to have wealth? Let your wives turn them loose. That's what he's saying. And this is going to be fleshed out many times in this chapter. Let them do their thing because they know what they're doing. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Okay, brings good, not evil. These two pathways and these two women are characterized good and evil. So this is the summary of the whole book, that a good woman brings good, not evil, to the husband and to the family. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's a hard worker. That's what that's saying. She's a hard worker. You're going to see this evolve, this thread all through the chapter here. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. So you think about merchant ships. She's willing to go wherever she needs to get what she needs to take care of the family, but also to take care of her business of which she has several businesses you'll see in just a moment. By the time of the Roman Empire, the, the men were going out to the various, like a merchant ship, going afar, getting what they need, and bringing it back. So she's willing to do whatever it takes to, uh, to carry on, take care of her family and her business. It says she gets up while it's still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. So how we, we have another idea introduced. You think about corporate executives. How many hours do they work? Right? They work relentlessly. Here you have a woman doing the same thing. She never stops. You mothers know exactly what i 'm talking about here, okay, but it goes far beyond children. She never stops the, the midnight oil is burning. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard it doesn 't say she consults her husband he 's not in the picture. she's the one earning money with here 's one of her businesses right here. She considers a field should she buy it. And she does. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Okay, this is a Hebrew idiom. It's a little bit hard to capture, but it's something like this. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get to work. I got a lot to do. Her arms are strong. It's not talking about muscle. It's talking about getting in there and doing whatever it takes. This is a hardworking woman of which many of you are just like this. I've seen it. I've seen it. She sees that her trading is profitable, maybe perhaps in another business here, and her lamp does not go out at night. There's a burning the midnight oil right there. So she's got these businesses going on. In her hands, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. Okay. Now, remember, we are in a patriarchal society, so she didn't have all the options the males had. So this is an imagery to, uh, I don't know how you weave things. I've seen it overseas. I don't know how you do it. But the spindle or the distaff is an important part that holds the, the, uh, the thread, I guess. And so when it says that she holds it firmly, she grasps it, that's actually a military term. She grabs it just like a warrior does a spear. You don't hold it tight, you're dead. So that's how serious she is in her work and all that she's doing it. She grasps it intentionally and doesn't let go of it. She's got to get it done. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. This is part of the heart of wisdom. This is on that pathway to righteousness. We care for the widows. What is it? We care for the needy and the poor. What does that James say? This is poor and undefiled. I mean, this is a undefiled religion, pure and undefiled religion, that you care for widows and orphans and those in need. Almost every prophet slammed Israel because it didn't take care of the poor. They took advantage of the poor instead. Almost every prophet has language in there about that. Here she's presented as a very righteous woman. Again, you notice the husband's not in the picture. She's taking care of the poor. She's moving out and doing what the, what the law says to do. That's what she's doing. She's not waiting around. When it snows, <coughs> excuse me, when it snows, I like that one, in other words, when it's cold, she has no fear for her household. She's not afraid. For all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for the bed. Okay, now this is a little bit tough to translate. The Greek New Testament actually, I mean the Greek Old Testament actually says for her family, she clothes them in double coverings. Which may be what she's talking about here. It may not be related so much to the bed as it is to everyone in her family, her servants, everybody's taken care of. They're warm. She knows how to care for them. And then it goes on. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Okay, women, this is not meant to be a joke, but uh, uh, we were joking about it last night at dinner with the uh, Zinas, how the women were... We get ready to pack to go on a trip and the women have to try on things and look at how they match and the guys pack in five minutes. Okay, There's nothing new under the sun. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. She cares about how she looks. And most husbands are really glad that we have wives. Sometimes I get up to come over here on Sunday mornings and all I get is this, no. Jude came up to me one time and said, Nancy didn't see you leave the house, did she? She's clothed in fine linen and purple. This is a statement about self-care, but it's also a statement about uh, prestige. significance. This is a woman who has standing, and it came because of her hard work. She has the respect of everyone because of her hard work, and she shows it in the way she dresses. I'm leaving right after church to go to Kansas City to meet with one of our people who's there in a little bit of trouble, and they just wanted me to come out and pray with them, so I'm flying to Kansas City. So I was just talking to Nancy when we started worship, she goes, I'll see you when you get back. I said, well, no, i got to go home and pack. She goes, you haven't packed yet? Well, no, it takes five minutes. That's all it takes. I love being a guy. Reason 2,367 that I'm glad I'm a guy. <laughs> But here she is, clothed in fine linen and pearl. Now here's where her husband enters the picture. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Boy, that's just like a good marriage, isn't it? The woman works and the husband's seated. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. (laughs) No, you see, he's respected because he's sitting at the gates as an elder. This is where all the transactions occurred. Business transactions, legal transaction, adjudication of, of conflict and issues like that, they always happened here. In fact, you remember the story of Ruth? Where did Boaz go to negotiate what happened to Ruth and Naomi and all the land? He went to, out to the city gate. That's where the elders are. So her husband actually has a very prominent position, and this becomes important in just a moment. She makes linen garments and sells them. So apparently here's another business. And she supplies the merchants with sashes. So now she's got a third business going on here. This is an industrious woman. What husband would not want a woman like this? And wherever we got the idea that women should stay at home, I don't quite get that. Because this woman is very different. And this is the, she's held up as the example of a noble woman. She is clothed with strength and dignity. There's that phrase, dignity, which the world didn't understand. And this woman is a woman of dignity. That's her. She can laugh at the days to come. Isn't that amazing? She can laugh at the days to come. I love that imagery. How many times in the last year have I said to you, Don't be afraid. Okay, all during the political campaigns, don't read social media and the news unless you can laugh at it. Said so if you're a little nervous and afraid, that means you're just a little bit too far away from the Lord. Just take a step or two closer because perfect love casts out fear. So laugh at the news. Psalm 2, God laughs at the nations. She's laughing at the days to come. She's got nothing to worry about. I've told our elders and staff many times over the years, we have nothing to fear. Nothing. This church isn't our church. This church belongs to Jesus. There is nothing that culture can throw at us that we can't respond to. Absolutely nothing. And as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. We may have newer ways to sin internet, social media, a variety of things like that. Nothing new. We have nothing to be afraid of. We can laugh at the future. You know why? Because the future is already a certainty for us. Already. We really don't have anything to be afraid of. Now, when we start working together, we can solve all these problems and come up with creative ways to interact with and respond to culture. Yes, I believe culture is degrading. I won't lie. Okay, I believe the moral fabric of our culture is declining. You know what that means? We shine brighter. In my lifetime, this is an unprecedented opportunity to talk about our faith because everywhere I turn restaurants, coffee shop, bars, grocery store airplanes, it doesn't matter people are very anxious and nervous what that means is this is our chance to shine as a church don't be afraid ask your neighbor do you have a, do you have a faith background? I'm just curious the most they'll do is say, "No, nah, I'm not interested in that okay now you know you'll be surprised you'll be surprised at how many times they want to talk. Okay? Don't be afraid. We are becoming more and more, as the days go by, a shining light on a hill. We just have to recognize it and take advantage of it. So rather than be afraid, do what she does. Laugh at the days to come. Pray for the leaders, but don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Let us shine like a church. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Verse twenty six. I love this because this is coded word for she's teaching. She's teaching the principles of wisdom, and this uh, this is typically a task left for men, the teachers at the synagogues and the temples. And here she is out there teaching, and he's holding her up as a model. She's teaching wisdom and instruction. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. There it is again, burning the midnight oil. She's not lazy. She is a hard worker, again, as most of you women are. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Okay, now think about what we just learned about her husband. He's sitting in the gates, dispensing, along with all the other elders, wisdom. Teaching the law, helping people understand, adjudicating legal issues, helping transactions, but he's also praising his wife. Have you seen my wife? Have you seen how great she is? You can just picture that. If you don't have a husband who does that, that's what you got elbows for. Okay? They exist for a reason. Or when I when I went to the hospital. Nancy slept in a different room because I didn't see I was coughing all night so she could sleep. And by the time morning came, I had a high fever and I couldn't breathe. And I tried to to text her at 2 in the morning. The doctor said, the instant you have trouble breathing because I'm an asthmatic, I want you at the emergency room. Well, I thought, I'll just wait because she's, I'm a guy. And she's asleep. I didn't want to wake her. So I go in in the morning. She says, she rolls over. She goes, how are you feeling? I go, I can't breathe. She touches my forehead. She goes, good night, Jim. Why didn't you wake me up? And I go, I didn't. I want to wake you. Bam! That's what I got right here. That's why God gave women fists and elbows. Okay? You know what to do with them. So, her husband praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Okay, here it is. Here's the overthrow of culture. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. When you objectify women, this is what you look at. And this is a language he uses of the prostitute earlier in Proverbs. And here they overturn it. It's only on the outside. It's only on the outside. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. When I went, just before I got sick, a month before I went and saw uh, Dorothy Wilhite, some of you remember her, 88, in intensive care, uh, with COVID and pneumonia, and I had to fight my way in, but I got in. I walk in, her hair's all askew, everything that she hates, and sat down. and I said, "I didn't know you could get more beautiful." She goes, "Oh, look at my hair!" and I said, "No, no, 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 Dorothy, where is beauty?" She goes, "I know." I said, "Great, let me look in your eyes." Yeah, you are more beautiful. You know, great time. We prayed together and laughed together. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's how Proverbs starts out. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So he starts and he concludes with that. He starts with a mother's teaching and ends with a mother's teaching. Honor her for all that her hands have done. Isn't that great? And let her works bring her praise at the city gate. When we talk about God says it's not good for the man to be alone, let me make a helper or a helpmate or a helpmeet, whatever translation you use. If you're not careful, you naturally think a little bit of subservience. It's not the case. Because that word outside of that passage is always used of God. He's the helper of Israel. Is he ever subservient to Israel? Never. You see what that word, we just don't have a good English word to capture it. Picture a man and he's missing a lot. Yeah, guys, guess what? God made you incomplete, okay? And then he makes a woman who's exactly the correspondence, the opposite, to bring together all that the male is missing. And by the way, the male brings together what the woman is missing. So if God is the helper of Israel, he brings into Israel what they're missing. And so the two together, Paul argues, is where you see the image of God portrayed. When we live together together, righteously in relationships. And not just marriage. We're talking about our church. That's how valuable women are. If the women are not present, then people can't see the truth of how God made us in his image. It's the way we relate right here. That's how we display the, the um, God's dignity. And you know where this came from? The Trinity. This is one of the reasons why the Trinity is critical. Because the Son reflects glory to the Father. The Spirit reflects glory to the Son. They, they mutually submit to one another to fulfill the mission of God. And so we have a picture of the Trinity doing the very thing. That's why Paul can say what happens between a husband and wife is a picture of Christ in the church and therefore God the world can see it. They can walk in here and watch as the way we relate together and they can see God. They can see it. Proverbs 31 is a critical passage in world history because it's overthrowing all of the vain, deceptive ways of objectifying a woman. And guess what? A woman shows all the same characteristics of a man, just in different ways and in different locations. It's not a chapter on roles. It's a chapter on strength, courage. It's a chapter on godly women. So to all of the the women out there, whether you're a mother or not, thank you. So glad you're with us. So glad you're part of us. Can we say thank you to our women? Father, thank you for our women. We love them dearly. They sometimes drive us crazy, but we love them anyway. And uh, we're just grateful that they're here, and we're grateful for the things that they teach us about you that we often can't see ourselves as men. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Before we get to communion, as we, um, as we return back more and more normal and we're starting to bring some things back, for instance, uh, I would like to have a couple of you... Um, that's not serving communion, just go stand on the sides and pray with people if you want somebody to pray with you about anything. We've been praying for Paul and Don Walker. Uh, They have a fight on their hands with cancer. And there's others of you that are sick, things that are going on. Maybe you want to praise the Lord. But just take some time when you come for communion and uh, hopefully have a couple on either side. Just go over there and have them pray for you, okay? This concludes the live streaming portion of our service. So for those of you that are watching online, thanks so much for joining us. Have a blessed day and love your mothers.